If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Speaking on the topic, you are loved. You are loved. I want to start by just reading John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It will be on the screen for you if you don't have it in front of you. It goes like this. As Jesus, the story goes like this. As Jesus um, is approached one night by a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means he was a keeper of the law. So the ancient law of Israel, the Old Testament law, this man kept it to the T. He crossed every T, he dotted every I. And he came to Jesus one night with a, a line of questions. And Jesus' answers were surprising to him. And when they come to sort of a conclusion, Jesus leads him into this passage. So as a skeptic, Nicodemus hears these words in John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus speaking says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He continues, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So tonight we're going to talk about the gift of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. In verse 16, we'll learn about the fact that God gave his son. You hear so often, in fact, I even asked, uh, I didn't ask, I think he brought it up, my son Micah, about the meaning of Christmas in the car the other day. He brought something up. He said, "Uh, I'm really excited about the gifts, but I know that that's not the real meaning of Christmas, Dad. And I was thinking, I wonder how many times you've heard me say that that's not the real meaning of Christmas. But that's where his mind was. And he said, the real meaning of Christmas is Jesus and the gift that he was from God. So we're going to talk about that gift. Who is Jesus the gift? But also, who is, what is Jesus' mission? Who is Jesus the sent one? Because in 16, he's the gift, the one that God gave. And in verse 17, he's the sent one, the one that God sent. He did not send the, word, send the Son into the world to condemn it, but that they would find life. So the gift and the mission, all surrounding this idea that you, each one of you and me, are loved. Love is so deeply tied to our identity. This is how deeply I want to propose it's tied to our identity. It's so deeply tied to your identity and mine that to strip it away, strip away love, or To build it on something that could be stripped away has great consequence on our view of self and on our view of the world. I saw a movie last night, and sometimes this happens as a preacher, where you think you have a good direction to go in illustrating you are loved, and then something happens, and it's better than anything you could have planned, so you go with it. So I want to tell you about this movie. It's called Dear Zindagi. It's a Bollywood movie that Lindsay um, and I went on a double date with some of our friends who are from the Middle East. See this movie. And it's about a a woman named Kyra. 
And Kyra is troubled. Um, she has trust issues. She has trust issues with her intimate relationships. She has insecurities about her job, despite being very successful in a field that's normally dominated by men. She still has um, has troubles with this. She's has years of built up anger with her parents, which the movie writers do a great job of holding back until the right moment. So you're, you're wondering why this animosity toward the parents, and then when you find out, it's shocking. But she has this built-up anger with her parents. Um, at, a, at the turning point in the movie, she actually reveals that she had been abandoned by them as a young child so that her father could go pursue his career. And she comes to the realization as she says it out loud when it's revealed in the movie, that 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 event is still affecting her life today. She's an adult woman now, reflecting on an event that happened when she was six years old. And she comes to the realization in 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 a sobbing, emotional scene with her psychiatrist. Because there was no constant, there was no loving force in her life, she realizes that she had been forced to look within to find the love that she needed to feel accomplished, to to trust those who loved her, and to eventually find some sort of way to forgive her parents for abandoning her. She was was forced to look within for all of these things. And without someone to look to as an example of how to love and how she is loved, her deepest fears and angers and trust issues and faults were exposed. You see, it goes back to that, that uh, theory I just said in a, a moment ago that, that love is so deeply tied to our identity that because this woman didn't have some sort of barometer, some, some place setter, a signpost in her life to look back to on how she was loved and what love was, the worst things about her were exposed and they were nasty. They were on display for all to see. In one scene, she even erupts. I was thinking about it. It's kind of like Thanksgiving. They had a big party. All the family was there. And someone said a snide uh, comment, a relative, I think it was an aunt, to her. And she blew up. I mean, the kind that you would see on Jerry Springer. Screaming and yelling and calling names. And that is what ultimately led her to this conclusion. That she had... She had nowhere to look to to find identity because no one had ever shown her love or how to love. Uh, so I propose to us tonight that without someone to look to as our example of how we are loved, then we, I, you, are exposed, our deepest fears, angers, trust issues, and faults are exposed. They're, they're drawn out when we don't have that signpost of love. And I propose tonight that you and I will only know our true self. You'll only know your true identity when it is found in the love that God has for you. It's why the words of that song we just sang are so important. You know, you think of a songwriter writing those lyrics and it's repeated often in the song, I am Loved, I am found, I am healed. 
Why would the writer repeat the words over and over again? Because that writer was under the realization as they're writing that, that those defining declarations give him or her identity. They are signposts to look back to when you're wondering who you are. When, those, when, when they haven't been exposed to the world yet, but those angers and fears and trust issues have been exposed to you privately. Where do you turn? That's why we sing these songs, to turn to something, to love. Um, as we move to the scriptures for an answer to this, I want us to see, number one, that you are loved because of the gift. You are loved because of the gift. God gave his only son, like we just read, in order to welcome more children into his family. Think about that. Whether you're a parent or not, you are a child. Think about your parent giving you up and saying, if I give you up, then we can welcome so many more into our family. You know, after you are crucified and buried and raised again. After you go through all this suffering, I can welcome more into the family. That is why God gave his son. But see, the motivation behind it was that he loved so much that he wanted you and I. And uh, Jesus says in that verse, whoever, the whole world, that whoever would believe would be welcomed into this eternal life, this family of God. Um, If you are the object of someone's scorn or the target of someone's charity, you fall quickly into the trap of resentment or apathy because at a very deep level you understand that you do not have value. So someone scorns you, you understand at a deep level that they do not find you valuable. If you've ever felt like the target of someone's charity, what I mean by that is someone who's giving you something with wrong intentions or wrong motives. Right, So you may have received a gift, but you were just a target of their charity. It was for their own benefit that they gave that. It's dehumanizing, right? We see this all over in our culture. Um, maybe you've, you, you've never wondered about God's love for you. Maybe you've always known that. The words of those songs are just reminders that you've heard ever since you were a young child. Or maybe for a time you've known. You never wondered how he thinks about you but maybe you've, you've questioned the existence of God. I would imagine that if I ask for a show of hands, I won't because it's a little bit of a touchy subject in a church. If any of you have ever questioned the existence of God, many would raise their hand. Some maybe even still. Yeah, I, I still kind of question the existence of God. Creation is not a concept that you might be on board with the idea that someone created all of this. And you'd rather believe that the only things that have value are the things that give you value or the things that you hold dear, like your family. You know, you might say, I, I find value because I have a family who loves me or maybe friends or your job or your beauty or your material things, your possessions. Maybe you have none of that, but you say, I have value because of my thoughts and my ideas. I can create my own thoughts and ideas. That gives me value. My question, though, um, when it comes to this 
this idea that you are loved by something outside of yourself, is what happens when those things fail you? What happens when your possessions are gone? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when your family betrays you or your friends backstab you? What happens when your thoughts or your ideas don't come as easily? What happens when you get sick? You don't have straight thoughts and your ideas are for harm, not for good. The person who may believe in God and and know this truth that they're loved and the person who may be skeptical of God's own existence at all both have something to hear from this passage. Just like Kyra, the woman in the movie, would have something to hear. That message is that you are loved because of the gift of Jesus. So for the transforming power of that truth, for the Christian that feels scorned, is that Jesus was given out of love. He wasn't given because God felt guilty. Have you ever thought that? That maybe God felt guilty that the whole creation thing kind of went wrong in the garden? So he said, how am I going to fix this? Out of my guilt, I'm going to give Jesus. You ever entertained that thought? Or maybe he, was, he had shame that, that it all went this bad? And he even just, you know, destroyed the, war, the earth in the flood and saved Noah. And he was like, okay, you're going to get it right after this. And it still didn't happen. And he wasn't given out of guilt. He was given because he saw his creation in shambles. And it moved him with compassion. He loved. He loved it so much that he would give up. What you and I might say is, is most precious to him. He would give up what is complete and unbroken to be the gift of the broken. The transforming power of of the truth that you are loved because of the gift of Jesus for the one who feels pitied, maybe like you were a target of this charity, uh, you were a target of charity from God. The one who might feel like that, um, like, like this act of charity only serves to prove that you are not good enough right? Almost like pandering. You know, if someone were to give you something, I know you can't get this on your own, so let me handle it for you. And with that attitude, maybe even they say it to you. It doesn't feel very affectionate, right? It feels like pandering. You see, he doesn't see you and think, "Mm, I feel sorry for her. I better do something to help. That's not what God's emotions are toward you in the gift. He gave the gift because he sees you and he says, I made her, I know her, I love her. She will only find all she's looking for in me. And I'll give up everything in order to have her back. We learn that truth, if you're interested more in it, in the story of Hosea. Go to the Old Testament book of Hosea. It's a story about uh, God showing that sometimes you have to give up everything you have to buy back what is rightfully yours. That's the gift that Jesus gives. And finally, the, the transforming power of the truth for the skeptic is that this is the only gift that's lasting. So this is the person, like I said a minute ago, who may, you may find value in these things, but what happens if the things leave? See, the gift of Jesus is powerful because 
It's the only gift that's lasting. It's the only thing that has value and says that you have value and that will never change. It's unmoving. It has pure motives. You are not a target of his charity here, but you are the affection of his heart. That's the difference. It gives you an identity that that you can be confident in in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, as much as in the midst of joy and happiness, in times of plenty and in times of want. So, you are loved because of the gift of Jesus. The fact that God loved the world so much that he gave his son teaches us that we are loved. But secondly, tonight, you are loved because of the mission. You are loved because of the mission that God gave Jesus when he was here. Remember I told you at the beginning, we're going to see the gift is important. Uh, we're going to see that you are loved for two reasons. The gift, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And then, because of the mission, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world would be saved through him. God sent his only son to save the world. The world full of people who had rejected him. Jesus' mission on earth was not to help a few people who may need it. He came to rescue all of humanity from certain death and destruction. It is a salvation that you and I need. We need this. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 puts it like this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is powerful for so many reasons. But one very important one is that line, while we were still sinners. See, the mission of Jesus is not one that I could have taken because I am in the crowd of still sinners. But Jesus, this gift from God, his only son, complete and unbroken, entered into the broken world, into the still sinner's reality as a not sinner. And he never sinned. And as he dwelt in this still sinner's reality, he did the unthinkable. His mission called for the highest price to be paid, that he would die for those who rejected his father. So a moment ago, I said, think of if your parents had said to you, we are going to send you to death, but it's for good reason. Because I love these people so much, I want to welcome them to my family. And this is the only way. That might be hard for you to swallow. But maybe, just maybe, imagine a scenario in which you swallowed it. And you said, I can do that. I will take that pill. But then, you, complete and unbroken, enter into these people whom your parent sent you to save. And you find that they have all cursed him. It's not just that they were helpless, drowning in a sea, 
But they were standing on firm ground, cursing the one who just sent you to save them. Jesus' mission was not easy. He didn't just stroll in like we depict it sometimes in Christian art with white flowy hair and a nice robe, never getting his hands dirty, walking around telling people about the wonderful news of God. Can you imagine the type of head games that went on as he knows so fully this beautiful, endless, perfect, pure, undying love of God, his Father? And he knows it in community with the Holy Spirit. And he's walking around among the still sinners. I can imagine that year after year, it would get harder to know that eventually he's going to be called to die for these people. Yet that was his mission. And he didn't let you down. I'm in the still sinners. You are in the still sinners. All have sinned. We were all in this group with Jesus walking around us. And he chose to complete the mission. You are loved because of the mission of Jesus. Jesus completed the mission to prove God's love for you. During Advent, we'll be talking a lot about the coming King. That's why the the candle lights. Let us not forget that this King didn't just come to a nation we all lived in happily. The King that's coming Jesus came with a mission and he accomplished it. He came when we needed him most, when we were still sinners. Remember that this season. We don't have it all together and his mission to save us is the message of hope we are all looking for. He chose the pain of enduring the death. Listen to this. He chose the pain of enduring the death of his only begotten son in order to offer adoption to the people who had chosen slavery to sin. That is God's love for you. In the movie, Kyra is guided by a psychologist along this troublesome journey through her thoughts and emotions. He encourages her to to look inside to find what she needs. Keep looking inside. Keep going deeper. There's one really powerful scene uh, I mentioned briefly earlier in which she breaks down, crying. If you see the movie, you'll be hard-pressed not to be breaking down with her. sobbing and talking through her tears as she sobs. And she's explaining to him so many pieces of the story that she had left out through their first 10 or 20 sessions over the course of a few months. Stories of her upbringing. And he encourages her 
that she's experienced a breakthrough. And he says this to her, Kyra, we are all our own teachers in the school of life. Kyra, after she has this breakthrough moment, we are all our teachers, our own teachers in the school of life. You see, the movie did a really great job of creating an insurmountable problem. And it's a problem that I think we've all experienced. The problem of someone or something that we love abandoning us or stabbing us in the back. The writers showed that for, for many years, Kyra had been silently tormented by the reality that no matter how hard she tried, she could not find peace by her own power. They did a great job of showing that problem, that she couldn't find it on her own. But in this line, it fails the viewer. It fails Kyra, this fictional character. Because the psychologist's advice is poor at best. Remember, he says, Kyra, we are all our own teachers in the school of life. While it may have an element of truth threaded through it, it comes with a huge package, a huge burden loaded down on her in that moment. This is my commentary on the film. You don't get this when you, when you watch it. It seems like a breakthrough moment and, and then the f- maybe it ends happily. I'll, I'll let you watch. But I say that it, it fails the viewer in its resolution because Kyra is basically told that she just hadn't been completely honest with herself or she hadn't gone deep enough into herself. And once she did, she finally found her true identity. But what Kyra experienced is something we all must learn, and that's that our identity is defined not by who we love or how hard we try, but it's defined by who loves us, who loves us, who has set the tone for us, who put up the signpost for us, It is only when we look back to how we are loved by God in Jesus that we can discover our true selves, that we can find our true identity. You are loved perfectly, completely, independently of anything you have ever done or could ever do. If you take anything from this sermon, take that thought home and sit on it for a while. You are loved completely. There's nothing missing. Independently and perfectly, apart from anything you have ever done or ever could do. If you need an illustration, think of a parent saying to a child who has just failed them, or disappointed them, or angered them. Son, I'm proud of you. Wait, I just disappointed you. I just failed you. I just angered you. But see, the father's love for the child can't be understood by the child because it's not the love, the pure love from a father to a child is one that is completely independent of anything that child could ever do. 
It's how you can love a rebel child. <clears throat> this love, though, is not from ourselves. You can't teach yourself this love. It's from an unreliable, uh, sorry, it's not from an unreliable source. It is from the creator of the universe. It's from God the Father, and it has compelled him to send his son to save you and I from ourselves and from our still sin. If you're looking for your true self, don't look inside. There you'll find scars from the past and lies about the future. Look to Jesus. He was abandoned by his father, just like Kyra. But he wasn't abandoned by his father so his father could go off and make a good name for himself. He was abandoned by his father so that you could be adopted. He was lost from his family so that you could be saved and join his family. When you let his love define your identity, nothing else will. Let's pray. God, thank you for the love that you have shown us. Teach us to look to Jesus, the gift and the mission. When we're wavering on our identity, when we can't find ourselves, teach us to look to you that we would see the beauty in the way that you have shown your love for us perfectly, completely, and independently of anything we have done or could ever do. In Jesus' name, amen.